We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, we had to we had to make a change this week. We had to call an audible. It is not Kyle Madsen, but we got a, a very, very special guest joining us tonight. It is Nick Wagner, the NFL Nation reporter for the Mothership ESPN. Nick, thank you so much for joining me. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. It's good to be with you. Yes, I, I'm most decidedly not Kyle Madsen. I'll let the listeners decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So up to that. Uh, for for now, it's a good thing. Kyle is uh, Kyle has got his big boy pants on. He's he's in the process of purchasing a home and and moving into it. Uh, so we had to make a last oh. minute change. Yeah, right. That's what that sign said. I saw the tweet that he posted with a photo. And I thought the sign just said salad, and I thought it was weird, but it said sold. Now, now it's all making sense to me. Congrats, Kyle. I'll have to tweet at you so everyone knows how proud I am. Yeah, that's that's the only way we can really uh, we can really congratulate Kyle is on Twitter because it, it doesn't really matter if we do it in person. But uh, right. so condolences, tw- congratulations. No matter what it is, it doesn't count unless you tweet it out. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. So. The 49ers are 5-0, and and uh, Nick, I think you pointed it out at some point over this past week that 
this might be the first winning t- season uh, you've covered since <laughs> since you began doing this in the NFL. Could could you give our listeners a little bit of background about why that's the case and and where you came from before uh, before you started covering the 49ers? Well, sure. Yeah, this is my 16th year in the NFL uh, covering the NFL, and uh, I as as some probably know and some don't, I covered the Rams for. Uh, you know, 12 years, 13 years before before I moved out here and started covering the Niners. And uh, my first year covering the Rams was 2004, and they actually went to the playoffs. So I did. I have covered a playoff team, but they were eight and eight, and they beat Seattle in the first round, and then they lost to Atlanta. Uh, got stomped by Atlanta. That was the Michael Vick, T.J. Duckett, Warwick Dunn triumvirate uh, back then. Uh, but that is actually the last time, the first and last time I covered the playoffs. And uh, as you can imagine, as Niners fans are probably very well aware, uh, the Rams didn't do a whole lot of winning between <laughs> 2005 and uh, 2012. When I, I guess it was up to 2015 when I stopped covering the Rams uh, when they moved to Los Angeles. And uh, I had the option to to go there or, or cover the Niners. So, uh, yeah, they're they're four four wins away from uh, clinching my first coverage of a winning season. So uh, I don't want to put a jinx on anything, but it uh, it's looking quite possible so far. Yeah, I, I think the odds are, are definitely pretty good. Uh, so, you know, you, the first, <laughs> that losing you, you talked about with the Rams sort of accompanied you when you, when you came to the 49ers because your first year was 2016, which was sort of that low watermark and kind of became... Uh, you, you know, set the tone for the Kyle Shanahan era because the 49ers, of course, had the number two overall pick in that draft, ended up taking Solomon Thomas. So you got to see the the very beginning of, of what this, this team has built. So now that the 49ers are 5-0, and Nick, I'm curious as to your impressions and what is really standing out about this team in particular now that, you know, you've been here for the duration of, of this whole rebuilding project. So you mean so you mean other than the winning? What's standing? What's standing out to me? <laughs> yeah. What? What? Yeah. What is it about the winning that stands yeah, out? Yeah. Yo, I. You know, I. I think the thing that that jumps out to me is, and and look, I, I know there's been a lot of discussion about how real this all is, or and some people's opinions maybe how unreal it is, and and all those things based on the schedule and whatnot, but. I, I know this about good football teams, even though I haven't covered a lot of them. I've seen them come through town many times. But the one thing you can always point to on whether a team is good or not is the manner in which they go about their winning. And the manner in which the Niners have gone about their winning is by stomping people. I mean, by convincing, convincingly winning games on a consistent basis. And, you know, the only test, real test they've had where you, you know, as we sit in the press box for us, it's like, what are we going to have to rewrite or possibly write at the end of the game? We haven't dealt with a lot of that. We've had a lot of, this thing's been kind of, you know, you already know what the result's going to be about midway through the third quarter, if not before then, with the exception of that Steelers game, of course. But even that Steelers game had that feeling of, you know what, I think this team now is better equipped to handle this I think they're the better roster out on the field. They're going to find a way to win this. And for a team that over the last two years lost 11 games that were decided by one possession, eight points or less, they lost 11 games. And and that was really kind of the impetus behind going and getting those edge rushers who can help close out games. They haven't actually had to deal with that. But I do think when they when the time comes, they've got a lot of guys now who are prepared for it. And so I think that's kind of the thing that's lost in all this is everyone always looks at these teams that have big turnarounds and they say, oh, look at 
the Niners are overnight sensations. Well, that's always like excluding the the years that preceded it. You know, there's always there's <laughs> always those there's always those years of like first of all like that that the acceptance phase of like oh crap we're gonna have to blow this thing up. You know, and and then and then once it's accepted, then you make the changes to the coaching staff to the general manager, and you go through all all that. And the Niners fans have been through all that here in recent years. And then when Kyle Shanahan gets here, you want to believe in what he's doing, but he's not getting instant results because a lot of guys don't, particularly in a teardown situation. And so that, to me, has kind of been the big thing is it's not not only have they turned a corner here, and it hasn't been an overnight thing. Let's be very clear about that. It's taken a couple of years. But to me, it's surprising that it's only been a couple of years because of just how far they had to go once they got here. Yeah, the Niners were were really bad when when Shanahan first took over, and a lot of that is a product of of what happened at at quarterback. You go into the season with Brian Hoyer as your starter, and then he gets replaced by C.J. Beathard as a rookie who didn't come into the league with with particular acclaim. Given that everybody kind of looked at that draft pick and, and scratched their heads, thinking they they took this guy you know late in the third round. Uh, when, when just about everybody, you know, I, I had a few draft guides then that, that I was reading and, and everybody had him as a day three pick. And so everybody was surprised to see the 49ers go with CJ Beathard, even with their obvious need at quarterback. Uh, and, and so what, I guess what they learned was like how much losing sucks, you know, like they, they had so many games where it, it looked like a, a relatively well-coached team, like a foundation was being put in place in 2017 and 2018, but they just couldn't make enough plays or the roster wasn't good enough or they always found a way to, to seemingly screwed it up, like you mentioned, with all those close losses. And now I, I look at that Tampa Bay game because there was a point in week one in the second half of that game where it was like, all right, the Niners are leading, but Tampa had that touchdown drive. Uh, I, I think it was Chris Godwin who scored a touchdown on, on Richard Sherman or in, or Jaquasi Tartan coverage. I, it was so long ago now. I don't I don't remember which, but it sort of felt like okay, here we go again, right? And uh, because we've seen the 49ers have have these games where they'll open up a lead, they'll have a lead in the second half, and then eventually they'll somehow give it away. And that was sort of the characteristic of the of the previous two seasons. And then the 49ers go on to win that game. They make some big defensive plays. Eric Armstead has a key third down sack. Nick Bosa has a sack. They obviously get the pick six at the very end. Uh, and at that point, it sort of set the tone for, you know, the way the rest of the season is gone. And then, of course, they stay over in Ohio. They blow out the Bengals. They come back. And then they have in that home opener, that Steelers game, like you mentioned, it sort of felt like one of those, oh, here we go again. The Niners are going to blow it despite nearly double, doubling up the Steelers in, in yardage, just thoroughly you know re- like outplaying them on both sides of the ball really with the exception of just some of those egregious turnovers and then they come out and win that game with with the fourth quarter comeback obviously they have the the fumble caused by Eric Armstead and and since then it's like all right this team is is playing much more comfortably they haven't had any of those moments particularly against Cleveland and and the Rams where it really felt like they were in danger of losing control of either of those games which is a really steady progression to make when you know we talk about where the 49ers have been and, and where we think they're going. So uh, shifting it a little bit, I, I do want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo because um, 
a lot of people seem split on Garoppolo and and when they talk about the 49ers and and the reasons for this turnaround is like is it because of Garoppolo is a lot of people obviously crediting the defense rightfully so and the running game has, has been very effective but Nick I, I'm curious as to your opinion of Garoppolo because to me the 49ers I think are doing a good job of putting him in favorable positions but I also think he's far better than a game manager but being that he's coming off the ACL injury, he's he's probably going to take a little bit of time to get back to the level where you're like, all right, Jimmy, go win us this game because we need you to. Um, or or is it even a bad thing that the 49ers haven't even gotten to that point yet? I, I think it's a I think it's actually been a very good thing for Jimmy Garoppolo that it's played out the way it has because the last thing you want to do is have him come back and thrust him back into the role of franchise savior, which Let's be honest, the last time we saw him at the beginning of 2018, that was kind of what he was being touted as, and that was based off the way he ended 2017. And frankly, it was unfair, and and you know, we probably played our role in that as as reporters. But you know, when you see when you see someone who goes out and, and leads a team that was as moribund as this one was to five straight wins at the end of the 2017 season, that's gonna kind of be the natural buzz that follows it. But in, in some sense, coming off of the injury has put him in a, a situation where I think expectations have have changed a little bit because you, first of all, you really don't know what to expect. But then when you really examine it, you look at this team and the way it's built and the way they've kind of altered the roster and they've made other parts of the team a strength. You're not asking him to be that guy who's going to carry you from week to week. And obviously the running game has taken off in such a huge way that it sets everything up and the way Kyle Shanahan's offense works. Uh, every Shanahan offense has ever worked is everything spins off of the run game. And the Niners just so happen to have one of the best ones in football. And it's, it's really taking some of the, the onus off of Jimmy Garoppolo. But the other thing is that I, th- and I think you make a, a good point, Chris, when you talk about, Hey, maybe he's not getting enough credit for some of the things he's done. When I look at some of the kind of the the benchmarks and the milestones and the markers that I want to see from the quarterback coming off of an injury, the first thing is how is he going to stand in the pocket when pressure's coming down on him and deliver the ball under pressure, particularly on third down. He's been pretty good at it. Uh, a couple of the things, one of the things that you want to see progress in, he's been better at. And I ta- I'm talking specifically about throwing the deep ball. I was looking up the numbers today. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't attempted a ton of passes. He hasn't had to push the ball down the field much, but on passes that have been thrown 20 or more yards down the field this year, Jimmy Garoppolo is 7 for 10, and he could be better. There was a drop, and granted he underthrew it a little bit, but there was a drop Marquise Goodwin had last week. So he's he's shown some early signs of improvement in that regard. The thing that you want to eliminate, of course, is that one or two times a game where he makes a, de- a bad decision and or a bad throw. We saw it last week against the Rams. We've kind of seen that pop up. It could have been even worse last week if Corey Littleton had been able to, to squeeze the, the ball he threw right before the half. But those are things that I think that Kyle Shanahan was hoping Jimmy Garoppolo would be able to eliminate by playing through last season. Obviously, he wasn't able to do that, so now you're kind of having to take those lumps while you have a good team, and the good news for Jimmy Garoppolo is is that if he does make those mistakes, there's other other facets of the team, whether it's the run game or it's the defense that's able to pick him up. Yeah, and I think Garoppolo overall has been pretty efficient. You know, you look at his completion rate, he's, he's near the top of the league, completing almost 70% of his passes, which is... Uh, which would be his his career high actually dating back to or 
it, w- it would be his best number going back to his rookie season when he completed 70% of his passes in mostly mop-up duty with, with New England. And that was, you know, he had 27 attempts, so that doesn't really even count. But you know, averaging eight yards per attempt is just about where you'd want to be, right? And that ranks seventh in the league. Um, I, I think he's doing what the 49ers are asking of him, and and they they haven't needed him to, you know, to really open things up and throw for 50 times yet. And and I'm curious, and maybe that comes this weekend. Maybe, you know, I'm I'm curious what you think about about this matchup against Washington because we, we were there when Kyle Shanahan had his had his press conference on Wednesday, which which was probably the most entertaining that that he's had in his tenure and I, I think it's a combination of you know being five and0 being extremely relaxed looking at Sunday's opponent Washington of course where uh, I, I don't think he has particularly warm and fuzzy feelings uh, about that organization given given the way things went when he was the offensive coordinator there under his dad and the way things ended in 2013 um, you know what what are you looking forward to Sunday in Washington and DC because I kind of think, and I think you, you you're you're right there with me that that Shanahan is not going to let up on the gas pedal, and he would have no problem hanging a big number on on the fighting Daniel Snyder's. Yeah, I, I think if if Kyle Shanahan had his had his way, and specifically if he had a healthy offense and he had all the the pieces in place, I think he would be. Uh, he would be prepping the 50 burger right now, uh, you know, putting the salt on it, seasoning it up and getting it ready to go. I think that's what what would be happening. But I, I do think that, you know, it's funny because we're, we're talking about, you know, I, I see fans and, and understandably so wondering about, you know, throwing out the words trap game, you know, which is funny to, to, to talk about for a team that, you know, uh, has has won 10 games over the last two years. But uh, I, I think that those kind of concerns I, I wouldn't be as worried about just because of. The Kyle Shanahan factor, I don't think he's going to let his team fall into that trap, particularly in this type of game. But I wouldn't be surprised if we just see a very kind of workmanlike, businesslike team that goes out and just takes care of business, gets the win. You know, maybe they don't maybe they don't put up 40. Maybe it's, you know, 24 to seven or 24 to six, you know, something like that. And they just go in and and get the job done. And, you know, Washington has showed signs of being frisky occasionally, you know, they gave Philadelphia all they want, jumped out to an early week, early lead in week one. And so I I don't necessarily know that it's going to be the type of game Kyle Shanahan wants, but, uh, or would love to have, I should say, but I think it's going to, it's going to be an opportunity for them to go out obviously and get a six straight win. And, I, I, like I said, I, I just don't think you're going to see with without Joe Staley, without Mike McGlinchey, without Kyle Juszczyk, I don't think Kyle Shanahan wants to put his quarterback in any danger in this kind of game. And there is certainly opportunities. I'm not saying they won't throw the ball, but if all things are equal, I think we might see a game similar to last week, but just with better results for the Niners, particularly on offense. Yeah, and the injuries you mentioned might help give the 49ers a little bit of that that edge that they might need to to avoid that emotional letdown or or trap game. Uh, that we that we like to say like you know and Kyle Shanahan on on Wednesday he had his morning meeting with the team and showed him all the bad plays from the Rams game and and one player told both of us that it was it was a very humbling meeting and and Shanahan likes to do that from time to time just based on where he feels the team is at and and coming off of that win Sunday against the Rams it, it certainly makes sense given all the positive press the 49ers have received as one of the two undefeated teams in the NFL, uh, the, how well the defense has been playing, Robert Sala doing post-game press conferences and 
and sort of going viral with his with his celebrations on the sidelines while the 49ers get all those fourth down stops. Uh, so I, I, I'm with you in that I, I don't really think this is letting up to be a trap game because the 49ers are not a team that has a long track record in, in recent history of of winning. It's it's not like they can rest on the reputation and all they've accomplished in the last few years. This is a team that's coming off four straight seasons of double digit losses and they haven't really accomplished anything yet. And Kyle Shanahan mentioned it a few weeks ago when he was the offensive coordinator with the Falcons. That team started 5 and 0 and failed to make the playoffs because they went they ended up going 8 and 8. So I I think the messaging inside the building is is appropriate enough to where the 49ers are going to come out with an edge. I do think the players understand the history that Shanahan has with that organization. And I think they, they like playing for him enough that, that they're going to have that energy needed to, to make sure that the game goes according to plan and that, you know, there isn't going to be some massive upset with the 10 point underdog uh, Washington team upsetting the, the lone undefeated team in the NFC. I I think the 49ers are going to come out and play well, but there is a chance it's going to be less than ideal conditions. There, there's a, it sounds like there's at least a 50-50 chance of rain, and we know at FedEx Field. Uh, the, it's the already grass- less than ideal conditions before you factor in the weather just by playing it on that field. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, we'll have to see. Jimmy Garoppolo coming off a knee injury on a shaky field, that's that's certainly not something the, the 49ers have to be thrilled about. So, We'll have to see exactly exactly how that plays out, and and as you know, Nick, there yeah. there are reasons why they play the game. Well, of course, yes, because <laughs> they can determine a winner and a loser, and then they have standings, and it's pretty cool. They have all this all this fancy stuff, you know, that goes with it. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to add to what you said, though. You you mentioned the Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, showing the showing the team all the bad plays from last week. I thought really interesting discussion we had with with Robert Sala today uh, on Thursday. Uh, and I, I asked him about just kind of Richard Sherman's role in keeping the team grounded, and especially for a for a young team that doesn't have a lot of experience with success in the NFL. And you know, he talked about Sherman a little bit, but Salah had I, I thought was really interesting, and he was talking about how he he addressed it with the defense earlier this week, and he said the thing that people forget is that a lot of the people in that room have already kind of seen the worst of the worst of what the organizations had over the last couple of years. And he said, quote, they've been told they're not good. They have been told that they shouldn't be here. They have told that they should be all, all be cut. We have all been told that we should be fired. And it was just interesting to hear Salah's kind of perspective on that because he's the kind of guy who is generally quite optimistic when he talks to us, Is doesn't seem like he worries too much about what is said on the outside. But I think I think that message has been kind of hammered home of like, hey, you know, whatever's happened here over the last two years isn't going to be something that affects us in the future in a negative way. It's actually going to be something that we can use to look back on and say, this is kind of what has made us who we are. And and it's a message that is clearly being shared by, you know, the, the coaching staff. And so they, they kind of believe in that idea as well. That, that's a really good point. And I do appreciate your professionalism of having a quote on deck to to read from. That's that's really qu- quality guesswork on, on your part right there. 
Well, I just uh, I'm going to give myself away without taking the credit here. I just happened to have the word file up, and I was like, "Hey, you know what? I wanted to, when you brought up the Shanahan thing. I was like, I want to see the Salah thing. So it took me all of four seconds to find it. But hey, that's four seconds I still took out of my day, and it's 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 really for the listeners, not for you, Chris. So. Okay, so but before we go to break, I'm going to ask you a, a broad question: What is the ceiling for this team, in your opinion? And it, can it? Can it be a team that we're going to cover in Miami uh, the first Sunday in February? I, I think first and foremost, and this is going to sound like a coach or player answer, but the, the, the ceiling, you start with winning the division because that has to kind of be the first the first thing that you check off. But I think that just the fact that we're talking about winning the division instead of you know trying to sneak in as a last wild card or something speaks to how far they've already come and, and kind of the impression that they've already made. But I think getting to the Super Bowl should be what they think is a legitimate goal. And why not? I mean, I think if you look at the NFC as a whole, it seems pretty wide open. I don't think that there's a team that has stood out and you would say, oh, that team is dominant. And I, and I think if, if you're in the situation that the Niners are in right now where you're 5-0, and you play Washington this week, you have a really good chance to get to 6-0. and And since I'm not a player or a coach, I'm allowed to look ahead beyond just this one week. I'm going to do that now. <laughs> I, I, they, they, you know, they, they, they host Carolina, which I think will be a really good test for them next week. Carolina has a, has a really stout front four, a good defense, and obviously can run the ball. So you get a good idea of kind of where, where they stack up there. And then you play Arizona on a Thursday night. I mean, you're looking at a, a chance to, to start this thing potentially 8-0 if you can take care of business at home against Carolina and against those two other teams. You're 8-0, and now you have to start thinking the possibilities of, of hosting home playoff games, potentially having home field throughout the NFC playoffs, all those things. And if you start talking about that, you might as well talk about the Super Bowl. And so I'm not saying this is necessarily a Super Bowl team. I still want to see more from them and particularly how they fare in that Carolina game. But I don't think it's unfair for fans to start dreaming about that, for people to start thinking about that as something that could be what that year. I think your question was, what is this team ceiling? I don't think it's outrageous to throw those words around as a ceiling for this team. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And and if they stay healthy, anybody can go on a run, right? Like we've seen nine and seven teams win the Super Bowl. So uh, I think just given the talent on this defense, I think what 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 gives me optimism about this team's chances, if and when they they do get into the playoffs, is they have a formula that travels. Even if they don't have home field, they have you know probably the best defense in the conference, or at least it has been the best defense in the conference throughout the first six games. Uh, they have one of the better running games in the league, and they they have a quarterback who we may we haven't really seen it this year, but in 2017 we did see Jimmy Garoppolo win a bunch of games in dramatic fashion and and sort of carry the, a, a bad team on his back. We don't know if he can still do that coming off the ACL injury, uh, or if he's regressed it at really at, at all. I, I think he hasn't really had the opportunity to show us one way or another. But just with the way the defensive line is playing, with how well the defense is playing overall and the running game, I do think this team is going to be a tough out in the playoffs if everybody stays healthy. And, and as we know, with this team, too, health has been a really significant factor over the last two seasons, which which made the rebuilding project a little bit tough. And I think for me was was sort of a key factor as to you know why I came into this season thinking the 49ers should be you know, probably between maybe eight and 10 wins or realistic expectations. And I think now you look at it, 
if they if they won 10 games given the way things have started and and they're healthy I think that would be somewhat disappointing though yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. If you start, you know, a lot of teams, they, the the approach they always take is they look at, they, they kind of carve the season up into quarters and, you know, they, they evaluate where they are after each quarter. Obviously, the Niners went undefeated through their first quarter. I think they have a very legitimate chance to be undefeated through their second quarter. And if that's the case, or even if they do, let's say they dropped the drop one to Carolina, you're staring at seven wins right there and you've still got uh, some favorable matchups you've got you know I think the December schedule is going to be a really nice test starting from you know right around that Green Bay game and and even the Seattle Monday night game you know they're going to get some they're going to get their share of tests but uh, to your point overall I, I think if you just look at the manner in which they're winning games and you talk about the health factor the injuries have have piled up against them a little bit this year the difference between this year and last year though with some of those injuries is that a lot of these guys are going to be back. And I think that's maybe the thing, you know, the, the very going back to the very first question you asked me tonight when we started this conversation was, you know, kind of what, where can this team go? What do you make of this five and O start? I think the fact of the matter is we haven't seen anything close to this team's best game yet. Uh, I think that there's an opportunity for this team to get a lot better, not only by getting healthy, but just by getting those reps together, getting that opportunity to let Jimmy Garoppolo to continue to kind of expand on what he's done so far and potentially add guys like Trent Taylor, who by all accounts was was the one of the best players on the field. I think Kyle Shanahan said he was the best player on the field in training camp. Uh, so you you factor him into the mix as well, potentially down the road. In addition to getting the guys that have been starting and, and missing games here recently, I think there's there's there could be better things ahead, assuming the rest of the health stuff works out uh, elsewhere on the roster. All right, so we're going to take a few questions uh, that we received from Twitter, but first we're going to take a quick quick break. All right, guys, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy, and usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like. I lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain, time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. 
ShipStation works with all major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Candlestick Chronicles listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Nick, what'd you, what'd you think of that ad read right there? I, I thought it was tremendous, although I was distracted by this Patrick Mahomes injury. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Patrick Mahomes suffered a, a knee injury here. It sounds like uh, the Twitter doctors are calling it a dislocation, but he, he definitely left the game and uh, will not return. So, uh, yeah, it distracted me a little bit, Chris. I, I thought you were great, though, in the part <laughs> Yeah, that is – I do have the game on in the background right now as as we record this, and uh, hopefully it's not, not a serious injury because – Mahomes is undoubtedly the most fun quarterback in the league right now to watch. Um, but we're going to take some some questions that we got from Twitter. Uh, we're going to start from Ryan with, with Ryan Sanchez's question, who asks, are we last year's Rams, referring to the 49ers, uh, turning into sort of a powerhouse as the Rams were last year? And, and Nick, given that you're familiar with the Rams. I know you were covering the, the 49ers last year, but given your familiarity with with the NFC West foe, what what do you think uh, about the 49ers chances at at getting to the super or we talked about it, but comparing them to to the Rams just given the way that team turned things around under Sean McVay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember that the Rams turnaround actually was was two years uh, in the second year into the McVay uh, era there. You know, they they won the division first. They kind of established themselves. And I think that's one of the things and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But again, not a player or coach. I'm allowed to look ahead a little bit. I, I just think when you when you look at the 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 question marks that come with kind of the crucible of the postseason where you don't know how certain guys are going to perform when they get on that stage, it makes it really hard to project what the Niners could be when they get there. I don't think they're going to be scared by any means. And and certainly, like you mentioned earlier, Chris, the, the defense seems like something that's going to travel as long as it's healthy, particularly that, that front four. You do have some veterans, guys like Richard Sherman, who have been there, who can help you through that. But it's so hard to project postseason performance anyway because there's a lot of variance from year to year on, like you mentioned earlier, a 9-7 and seven team could get in and, and make a run and get hot at the right time and go win the Super Bowl. So it's, it's hard to say that part of it uh, or make a projection on that part of it. But I will say that I think the Niners are better equipped than the Rams were in their first year of the playoffs to make a run because I think their de- the Niners' defense is, is further advanced than what the Rams had at that particular time. And if you look at what the Rams did last year, a lot of what they did uh, during the season was was offensive-driven. When they got to the postseason, the defense really stepped up and, and started playing better, and that was why they were able to kind of make the run that they did because they were able to put the pieces together. But um, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's unfair or out of the question if 49ers fans 
want to dream big and think that anything is possible with this season. I don't think it's outrageous to do that uh, because I do think the Niners have a lot of pieces here to be a real dangerous out if and when they get. Yeah, to, it's going to gonna be fun to see how the second half of this year unfolds, because, I mean, as you mentioned, a couple of weeks, we have Carolina uh, in, in, in Levi's Stadium, which is going to be a really interesting game, I, I think, because maybe Cam Newton comes back. And, and I do think the Panthers are a really dangerous team. And uh, and just given that they're sort of sandwiched in between two lesser opponents in, in Washington and, and Arizona, that, that's looking like it might be a tougher game than than a lot of people realize. And then after that, you host the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football after a little bit of an extended break because you play on Thursday the week prior. So it's sort of a mini bye week going into that game. And then, as you mentioned, it's like Green Bay at Baltimore, at New Orleans. Uh, then another, then hosting the Rams, and then you finish off the year at Seattle. We're gonna have a really good. I just gonna skip over Atlanta like that, <laughs> huh? Just all the all the disrespect for Dan Quinn. I, huh? Is is Dan Quinn gonna be coaching <laughs> Atlanta at that point? Do we know that? Oh man, even more disrespect <laughs> I'm, I'm for just, Dan I'm Quinn. Just... Dan, Dan, if you're listening, that's Chris Biederman. I can send you his email address. <laughs> he's the one. He's the one that's. Oh, well, you know, you know what's funny about that is is not crazy to think like if Robert Sala leaves as as a head coach and and Dan Quinn does get fired, wouldn't Dan Quinn sort of make sense as a as a defensive coordinator candidate to to step in and fill Sala's shoes here with with the 49ers? Oh, here we go. Let's. <laughs> going down the rabbit hole here we go yeah this uh, no yeah i mean it would make sense of course but yeah that's a that's a that's that's a long way off but back to your point i interrupted <laughs> no I it's it's it was just that um in terms of how the 49ers will will stack up in the playoffs we'll we'll have a really good idea uh, of what they of what they're going to be like in those situations i think and we're going to we're going to learn a lot in early december when the 49ers go play baltimore they're probably going to stay somewhere on the East Coast like they did between weeks one and two so they don't have to travel back and forth um, between that Ravens and Saints game. And then it's two consecutive home games and then they finish at Seattle. So we'll have to see if, if that Seattle game is going to mean something week 17 or not. But going into the playoffs, I think the 49ers are, are certainly going to be tested. And I know playoff football is a little bit different. But there are a lot of teams in the playoff mix right now that, that they have on the schedule, particularly late in the year. But let's go to our second question. It's from Manuel Beltran Jr. Could Sunday's game against Washington be, be the coming out party for the past game and Jimmy Garoppolo with Kyle Shanahan wanting to stick it to Washington? I think yes. I, I think I mean, it could be I think well, it could yeah. be a lot like that week two game in, in Cincinnati where the offense was, was really just sort of clicking on all cylinders and it and it wasn't much of a game, but I do think the conditions might prevent that from happening if the field's sloppy and and if you know the weather isn't good if it's raining. Yeah, I mean I think purely from a matchup standpoint if you look at if well if you just watch Washington on tape you can see the uh, that there's opportunities <laughs> there for for the Niners to to beat them through the air uh and, and purely just in, in that sense you would think the answer is yes. I would go to not just what you said about the the conditions or potentially the conditions if it rains that's part of it but I still think that there's there's going to be an element moving forward here, at least this week, of we're going to protect Jimmy Garoppolo at all costs. We don't want to put him in any sort of peril without Mike McGlinchey, without Joe Staley, without Kyle Juszczyk, where if they can win this game by, by being heavy on the ground again uh, and not put Jimmy Garoppolo in any sort of situation where he's under duress a lot or where he's taking a lot of hits, not that, that, not that he would, and I'm not saying that Justin School and Daniel Brunskill can't 
can't hold up well enough there. But, uh, you know, I think that to have that big kind of breakout game, you want to have some of those pieces in place to make sure that everybody's protected. And you have to be smart about this, too, because you, you, you obviously you want to win the game, but you also want to take the long view as well. So I think there will be some big plays in the past game. Don't get me wrong. I, de- I just don't know that we're going to see Jimmy Garoppolo go out there and throw for 350 and four touchdowns or something like that. But I could see something maybe similar to you know last week or some maybe somewhere in between what he did what what he did last week in the air and what they did in the Cincinnati game maybe kind of a happy medium between those two things yeah and we should point out the 49ers might be without Debo Samuel in in this game who hasn't practiced yet this week Uh, he's got a groin injury he he was riding the the stationary bike today and doing some light conditioning and rehab on the side field as as practice got going so I I don't know that uh, we'll, we'll we'll actually have a better idea on Friday tomorrow if Debo Samuel's going to play. Not that he's been an enormous factor in the passing game, but it's certainly going to be something to consider. And it, it could provide Jordan Matthews an opportunity to to be active for the first time this season. Uh, and and maybe the 49ers find something with Matthews that, that they haven't had in the passing game to date because the receiving core hasn't been all that consistent so far. So next question, Justin Ocampo asks, how concerned should we be with Robbie Gold's kicking woes? I'll let you start with this one. I mean, I, I look so far it hasn't mattered, but I like Chris. Chris just ran down the schedule, although he ignored Atlanta. That is another <laughs> game that the, the Niners will have to play. It is on the schedule, but uh, he did run down the schedule for you, and those sound like games. And we don't know, but they sound like games that are going to be close. And if you're in a close game, every point matters. And so, yeah, it does matter, and it is something that I think fans and and the team have a right to be concerned about because it has been an issue. But I will give a little bit of kind of a caveat to that, which is a positive caveat if you're a, if you're a Niners fan, Kyle Nelson should be back, the long snapper who has been kind of their long snapper of choice for quite a while here in San Francisco uh before his suspension. He will be back next week for the Carolina game. I fully expect the 49ers to make that move after this week, and that should bring some stability there that they haven't had through the first part of this season. And if and when that happens, I shouldn't say it, it, when that happens, if Robbie Gold still struggles, then you really have to start worrying about it. But until then and until you get into a situation where he misses a kick that really matters, I think it's something that you have to be aware of and it's something that you can be concerned about, but it's not a huge, huge factor. If, like I said, Kyle Nelson returns and it continues, then I think maybe the, uh, the you keep the alarm button close. Yeah, and Robbie Gold said it to us in, in a scrum, I, I think it was last week, that He's had stretches where he hasn't kicked particularly well before and he's figured out ways to bounce back and and just whether it's mechanical or something mental. uh, I kind of think it it might be just sort of the perfect storm of of things. He obviously held out for a new contract after demanding a trade uh, before showing up in in, to training camp in late July after signing that lucrative contract. Look, the, the 49ers obviously have a new long snapper. They've had three long snappers so far this year, and they have a new holder in Mitch Wisnowski. Uh So I, I don't think, you know, being away from the team necessarily hurt Robbie Gold and, and is the reason for uh, the, the slow start that he's gotten off to, but I certainly don't think it helped. Um, so we'll have to see. I, I, I think it, it might just be that there's a little bit of a, of a, curve in terms of you know getting that chemistry right the timing everything else getting comfortable so uh, I, I do think getting Kyle Nelson back will will help things Kyle Nelson is 
like you mentioned, the, the preferred choice. And, and the 49ers gave him a contract extension despite getting slapped with a 10-game suspension last year for, for violating the, the performance-enhancing drug policy. Um, the issue of a long snapper getting getting uh, hit with a, a PED suspension is is funny in of itself but um well yeah let's let's add this here too Chris one of the one of the things that I I know the Niners have been disappointed with with the snappers that they've had this year was is the velocity of the snap and it's it seems like it's been a tick slow I think with Sanborn you can actually see it on the tape a little bit that it's been a tick slow and and Robbie Gold's had to go kind of through those changes so Kyle Nelson that's one thing that I I know has I've, I've talked to people who've held for him in the past and said you know, he, he definitely brings it. He's the kind of guy who can bend your thumb back a little bit with, with those snaps. So uh, that shouldn't be an issue. But um, that's that's kind of what the whole impetus behind the changes that they've made while Nelson's been out. Because it seemed to us, to the naked eye like Colin Holba, who was our initial snapper, um, you know, was, was, was doing fine. But it seemed uh, apparently they were disappointed with the speed of that. And, and thus concludes my discussion on long snappers for tonight. I think I've already gone way over my quota for the year. So, so, so first it was having Robert Sala's quote ready at, 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 at its, at when you needed it. And then you come with, with the heat. Maybe is that breaking news? Did you just break some news on this podcast of the 49ers reasoning for, for shuffling through long snappers is because of velocity. Has that been out there? Uh, well, I, I, I haven't I mean, written it. I asked Kyle Shanahan about it, and he said it on the record. But because it was about long snappers, pos- it's it's entirely possible nobody reported it. So, so maybe, <laughs> so maybe, so maybe it wasn't officially on the record. But uh, okay. yeah, no, that that was. Uh, I remember Kyle Shanahan said something to the effect of. I'm not really sure how all that works, but the way it was explained to me. So right now I'm explaining it. I don't really know how this works, but the way it was explained to me by someone who had it explained to them, we're playing the game of telephone with the long snapper discussion here. <laughs> and frankly, I'm sure the listeners would like us just to move on. So what's the... All difference? right, let's go to the, the next question. Uh, used Goat asks, or he says, I've seen projections on when players can return from injured reserve, but are there any updates on their progress? Seems like a while since we've heard anything about the receivers and what about Selleck? So... I put this question in the rundown because uh, I'm actually going to queue up your tweet that that you had from this week where you uh, did a good job of, of going through all the 49ers injury rows. Can I find it? God, did I favorite it or put it in my bookmark? Do, do you have it? Uh, do you have it uh, ready and, and available? I, I can't say that I just sit here and stare at my own Twitter wow. feed. Uh, You're I, so prepared with everything else. But well, just not, I, that, I, I, I mean, I just don't have that Chris Biederman ego. So I... I uh, <laughs> I can avoid it, but I can probably find it here quickly. Yeah, here it is. Uh, I, I went to my own Twitter feed, and then I went to there media it is. because it was the second the second one down the list. So, yeah, yeah. I have the list here. The, the question was about the uh, the receivers and the tight end, right? Yeah. Garrett Selleck, yeah. And, and so Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd, both of who are on injured reserve, uh, it's not there's not necessarily a definitive timetable with them because when you go on injured reserve, uh, the team has the option to bring you back after eight weeks, but they don't have to do it at eight weeks. So if Trent Taylor isn't ready at eight weeks, you know, to to begin practicing in that in that window at six weeks and then come back after eight weeks, if he's not ready, that can all get pushed back. So think of it like this: if if Trent Taylor, because you can open the practice window at six weeks if you think a guy's going to be ready after week eight, right? So if that's not the case, 
you could start it in week seven, and then he could return after nine weeks. So that's why I put on here any time after the November 17th game versus Arizona is when mm-hmm. he would be eligible to play in a game again. Not eligible to practice, but to play in a game mm-hmm. again. And in Jalen Hurd's instance, it's any time since he was put on injured reserve a week after Trent Taylor, it would be any time after November 24th versus Green Bay. And the same thing applies to him. So those guys on injured reserve, Taylor Hurd, Jason Verrett, who I think we've probably seen the last of this season, unfortunately for him. Uh, really tough luck that, that he's had. Uh, and then Contavious Street are the four guys on injured reserve. Of course, they can only bring two of those guys back, uh, but they don't have to declare it until they actually do it. That's something that people seem to forget, and something that has changed recently, so I understand why people seem to forget that. Yeah, and, and so as you wrote, Garrett Selleck, uh, the, the team has five weeks to get Selleck back to practice um, or put him on injured reserve or or release him. So it, I, I think the fact that the 49ers have, have gone through the process with Selleck would indicate to me that they do plan on having him back uh, but he had surgery to to sh- shave one of the discs in his back after having a fracture. It, it does not sound like it's any fun for him, and and I think it's going to be an injury that that lingers in, in for him long beyond his football career. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. And, and Jalen Hurd too. It's like having a fracture. He has a fracture yeah. in his back that he's working his way back from. And and so it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if this ended up being sort of a, a medical redshirt season for her, just given that the, the significance of that injury, because backs are tough and, and you don't want to, you don't want to aggravate it. You, you don't want to, you know, fracture anything else. So um, we don't know what's up with her just in terms of his prognosis for this season just yet. But I, I do think at least talking to Trent Taylor, when he was first put on injured reserve, he made it sound like he's going to have more than enough time to come back. So we'll have to see, barring a setback, I would imagine Taylor is going to be back at some point in mid to late November. And I think that would be a huge boon for the offense because, as Kyle Shanahan said, Taylor was the best offensive player in training camp. So we know what Taylor did with with Jimmy Garoppolo in 2017, and I do think that is sort of a missing element to the offense and particularly the passing game because right now the the – in terms of you know who Jimmy Garoppolo really trusts in in the air, it's George Kittle, and I don't know if if you can group Dante Pettis in that category. Certainly, and and you know maybe Marquise Goodwin, um, certainly not Debo Samuel just yet. So maybe getting Trent Taylor back for that stretch run would be important. But as you mentioned and and did a good job in in breaking it down, it, it's looking like mid November for for. Taylor and and possibly heard to come back and then Garrett Selleck we'll have to see he can return to practice I, I believe starting next week or he could have returned no, to practice now. this yeah, week it's now yeah. but the After Niners haven't weeks. opened that window yet yeah and they have they have to make a decision of some sort within five weeks now they can wait to the end of that five weeks and then if he starts practicing it buys them another three weeks before they would have to decide whether to activate him or place him on injured reserve. So the, the, the PUP list is a little bit more complicated. Uh, one other thing I would just add here too, and I agree with you, Chris, that I think that I think Trent Taylor is the one guy, both from an injury standpoint and also just a need standpoint, he's the one guy out of those four on injured reserve that you think has the best chance to be back and the one that they would definitely use one of those two designations on if if, if indeed he's he gets cleared and he's healthy and to go. And the other thing I would add, I, I know some I'll, I'll throw this in as kind of a bonus answer to a question that wasn't asked, at least not on your on your Twitter feed, but I had some people asking me this week after I put this tweet out of who do you think would go to let some of these guys who are injured come back? 
Well, the only guys that would really matter for are those guys on injured reserve and, and the guy, you know, and Garrett Selleck, who's, who's on physically unable to perform. And I would just say this. It's, it's easy to sit here now and say, OK, well, if Trent Taylor comes back, they could let go of Jordan Matthews because they'd be heavy at receiver or whatever. A lot of times this stuff just kind of has a way of working itself out. You know, there's there's always injuries that pop up or, or whatever. There's going to be other things that happen between now and, you know, November 17th. So that's just something to keep in mind that, uh, you know, you hope that doesn't happen. You hope that you can make the decisions purely based on football. But let's be honest, the nature of the nature of the sport just kind of allows these things to kind of pan out in a way that makes sense when it's all said and done. All right, we we have uh, we have taken plenty of Nick's time, but I do uh, there there is one uh, or I guess a couple more topics. I guess there are two players. One topic that that I do want to hit on, and it's just the future of Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward, who embattled former first round picks, both having really good seasons, both healthy after dealing with injury issues. They're both up in uh, for free agency in the coming off season. Nick, what what do you think happens with with these guys? I know it's a long way out, and and we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But do you think the 49ers bring these guys back, or do you think the looming contract extensions for DeForest Buckner and George Kittle make it impossible from to from happening? You're talking about Armstead and Ward. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's it's going to be a really tough situation. But I think first and foremost, and particularly in Ward's case, you need to see him make it through a season and. Uh, Obviously, that's what you hope happens, but it's only been a couple of games, uh, you, so you need to see much more of that before you can, you know, before you can make a determination on that. The thing with Eric Armstead that that I think is is really fascinating is that defensive line is clearly the strength of your team. The Niners built it that way on purpose, so I don't think they want to do anything that would damage what they have, particularly if that group continues to dominate the way it has the rest of the season and Eric Armstead continues to play well. I would think they would want to do anything they can to bring him back. Now, what his price tag is going to be is going to be fascinating because if he, let's say he goes out and he finishes with 10 or 11 sacks this year, which I don't think is completely out of the question, even if he gets to eight or nine, pass rushers generally don't make it to the market. So if he makes if he makes it to the market, I think there could be, you know, quite a few bidders for him, even with his injury history and, and kind of the fact that his his breakout season would come in a contract year. But we've seen that happen before. I think one thing the Niners have working for them, though, is that there's there's always ways to make things work. I think the George Kittle and DeForest Buckner, those will be the top two priorities. But I think there's probably a way to make it fit. You know, they can they can structure the contract in a certain way or they can restructure other contracts. There's always ways to kind of make it work. And I don't think it would be debilitating for them long term in the cap. And I don't think he's going to get a contract that would just be out of control. The other thing is, is people uh, should take note of this because the, the, the CBA expires after next year. And there's a loophole in it this year. And I'm not saying the Niners would do this, but they could use both the franchise and the transition tag. They would have both of those things available to them. Normally, you have to choose one or the other. Again, I'm not saying they're going to franchise Armstead and transition Ward. Most likely, they wouldn't. I'm just saying that they at least have options. If this season plays out in a certain way and they want to do anything they can to make sure that those guys are still around, they would at least have some level of control of how that would play out. So, that's something else that kind of works in their favor. 
I do think there's a way to retain them both if they want to. I just I can't see Ward demanding a big contract even if he finishes the year healthy. I think he could be a guy you could get five six million a year uh, if he finishes the year strong and and you have something kind of set up there. And then Armstead, like I said, there's I think there's a big variance in what he could get if he hits the open market, depending on how the rest of the year goes. Yeah, and and it's fascinating too because we don't know if you know. We we sort of assumed DeForest Buckner is, is going to follow the the Khalil Mack blueprint and possibly hold out next offseason if he doesn't get a new contract heading into the, the fifth-year deal or the fifth-year option on that rookie deal because he's represented by Joel Siegel. It, it's it's going to be a similar type contract, assuming nothing catastrophic happens to Buckner and he continues to be one of the most productive defensive tackles in the league. So that's something the 49ers are going to have to figure out, which has ramifications on Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward, of course. And then, you know, George Kittle's eligible for the first time this offseason for a new contract. But we don't know that that the 49ers are going to give him that that contract extension right away. And like Buckner did last offseason, Kittle doesn't have to sign an extension because the longer he waits, the more lucrative potentially his next contract would be because you would assume the salary cap is going to keep expanding. Um, other players might set the market, and and I'm I'm fairly confident in saying George Kittle is going to be the highest paid tight end in the NFL when he does sign that deal. But it doesn't necessarily have to happen next offseason. So maybe if if Kittle is willing to wait like Buckner did last year, then you're looking at a scenario where maybe you can afford to keep one of Armstead. Uh, or maybe both with with Ward, as you mentioned, with with the the ability to use both of those tags. So I think that's I think it's going to be interesting. It's it's really a, a good problem for the 49ers to have because they, they've had so much cap space in these last few years and and they've started to chip away at it with with a lot of these big contracts. And, and fortunately for them, they're winning games now. So they're, they're getting value out of all these big deals that they've signed uh, so it's a good problem to have right now when you look at an offseason and saying, well, we, we don't have enough cap room to, to pay all of our good players. It's it's a pretty it's, it's a pretty stark contrast to, to where the 49ers have been. And and there's also, you know, there's like I said, there's ways to, to kind of work deals that, you know, higher higher hit in one year. I mean, look at the Jimmy Garoppolo deal as an example. I mean, the way Parag Marate structured that was. His cap hit last year, his first year under the new contract, was like $37 million, which is abnormally high. And then it dropped all the way to, I think it's $19 million and some change this year. And you can do that on a smaller scale with certain deals. And you look at, you know, Eric Armstead is, is making a little over $9 million this year. So if you figure you bring him back, it may be something in that range where, you know, obviously you only have a certain amount of cap room and what you factor in for next year is already kind of discluding him from that but if he comes back at a similar price then then you could that's probably something that would be pretty palatable for them and it's something that they could make work and then you know the other beauty of it too is is you're paying a lot for d ford you're about to be paying a lot for deforest buckner but nick bosa is still on a rookie contract and you know that thing will keep kicking up over over the years the way it's structured i think it goes from 6.1 to 7.6 next year and then the year after that i think it jumps to 9.1 but He's still on a rookie contract. That's still a very reasonable price for a guy who's clearly already establishing himself as one of the most uh, dominant edge rushers in the league. So there's all different kinds of ways to make this work. I have I have no doubt that if the Niners 
decide that Jimmy Ward and Eric Armstead are guys that they want in their future, that there's going to be a way that they can make that happen. Yeah. And one last thing before we get out of here, because because we've gone way too long already, is is the way Garoppolo's contract is set up, like you mentioned, with that $28 million roster bonus he got in 2018. Uh, the really the the other prorated bonus was, was seven million, which is which is spread out over the five years <laughs> yeah. of that deal, and you can convert a lot of that base salary to bonus and, and sort of kick the can down the road in in terms of how you're paying Garoppolo, and then his cap number can shrink pretty dramatically. Yeah. And and the way a lot of these big contracts have been put together by the 49ers and and Paragmarate, which is which is you know really smart, is that. They, they do heavy bonuses up front, which gives you a lot of leeway and freedom, whether you want to get out of the contract completely later on or you want to convert some base salary to bonus to shrink cap numbers and, and do some of this maneuvering like we're talking about. So the 49ers are in good shape and uh, and it's still it's still odd waking up every day, realizing that that we're covering a team that might be one of the best teams in the league, given given where this where this started and and uh so i'm happy for you that you get to cover a team that's interesting uh that has a lot of a, a lot of interesting people to talk to whether it's kyle shanahan or robert sala and and richard sherman and guys in the locker room so um but nick i really george do want to who likes both of us quite george a kittle yeah george <laughs> kittle does like both of us um yeah so nick i wanted to thank you for uh for being an awesome guest at the last minute uh, it was a lot of fun talking to you, and uh, I will see you in Washington, D.C. All right. That sounds good. Thanks for having me, and uh, tell tell Kyle Matson that uh, he's more than welcome back, and congratulations on, on his salad. <laughs> All right. With that, we will uh, we'll wrap it up, and we will talk to you guys next week, recapping the 49ers game in Washington and uh, maybe doing a little bit of uh, of previewing the, the following game against Carolina. Thanks, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.